Morning, everybody. Uh, really lovely to see you in here. And, uh, and out there. if you're staying warm at home, you probably made a good choice. But um, happy Lent, happy end of half term. Some of the parents are glad about that because kids return to school tomorrow. Um, and uh, we'll offer special prayers, obviously, for Welsh rugby fans. And um, it's just got to be said, hasn't it, really? And, uh, and actually, prayers, prayers for Arsenal fans that we remain humble and. Uh, <laughs> Not counting our chickens, etc. Very, very good. Uh, I, I just my flesh is that as the notices are playing and, and things kind of get going again, and we've heard so many beautiful reports of different things. We're a busy old bunch, aren't we? I mean, that's probably characteristic of our culture, let alone this church culture, let alone a, a biggish bunch of people like this. And that's all so good. And all of these ingredients are really, really good. But I hope we are also those who are mindful that sometimes busyness can actually get in the way of the very thing that we want it to serve. And so I just feel to say together, can we be really encouraging at this time that more is not always more, to be, to be discerning about what the Lord is calling us to and what he's not calling us to. You can only give a big yes to something if we've got a big no to other things. And in all that is going on, let's be really wise about what we engage with, because all of it is, is to serve that purpose, isn't it, of gathering us closer to, to, to Jesus, whatever our starting point. And, um, and Lent, actually, I suppose, in many ways, is a time of... Where, typically where we, where we dial down in a way in order to dial up that, that sense of leaning into to God. So uh, please, please hear me carefully. I'm for all the things that we're, we're putting on. I'm excited about them. I'm excited about the different things. But let's just be selective and mindful not to let the enemy get, let busyness be, get, get in the way of the stuff that we want to, um, to lean into and press into, which is always the presence of Jesus, isn't it? Um, so I'm excited too about this uh, series that we're starting uh, in, in Lent these next five Sundays leading right up to and including Easter uh, Sunday itself. And I'm going to show you a beautiful image to start off with. I want to remind you of an image that has become a real favorite uh, and I'd hate, hate for you to, to forget what one of those looked like uh, as we get going, just in case you've forgotten that clever little piece of plastic. I, I find it slightly strange, as I put that um, on my slide, that, and a bit unfortunate, that we call this a positive test, don't we? Where the reality is that, um, I don't, I'm sensitive, of course, to the, you know, the deeper, painful realities of, of what we've experienced together, but... Um, the, co the consequences of those things is almost entirely negative, as far as I can see. Um, the, the whole kind of what my mother still still calls self-distancing. I thought that's a rather nice phrase. And she latched hold of some sort of phrase and called it self-distancing. I quite like that. I quite like the idea of being separated from myself at times. That would be good. But so, you know, the whole lockdown, all the, the, the really unfortunate consequences of, of having a positive test. But as we're beginning this uh, Lent series today, we're going to allow a series title which we framed as Positive Testing, if we could put that up there. Positive Testing. To remind us actually that in spiritual terms, in discipleship terms, in our journey and relationship with God, testing and battle happen. And as uncomfortable as they are, as unwelcome as it is, who votes for testing, right? Who votes for for battle, we just don't. But as uncomfortable, as unwelcome as they are, they're actually really, really important for our growing in our relationship with the Lord. Really important, even necessary to a point. We all experience testing. The idea that followers of Jesus should somehow be immune from suffering and, and so on is clearly nonsense. For one thing, Jesus said in many ways, uh, our troubles will be greater for following him, not, not less, and so on. But more than that, testing can often be positive, even necessary for growth, for formation, and so on. 
And again, I, I want to say now, in case I forget to say it later, I'm aware that in a room this size, testing comes in different shapes and sizes. And right now, there'll be people in the room whose testing is very, very severe and extremely painful. And I'm not diminishing that in the slightest. But I, I want us to be biblical as we get our, our eyes around this and engage with the scriptures in a minute. One of the books that um, I may or may not get around to writing, almost certainly not, but you can challenge me a bit. Uh, if I wrote it, it would be called Both And, uh, like that bread, you know, the, the best of both. It's got sort of you know, two things going on at the same time. Because I'm so conscious as we are that there's so many things that in, in our spiritual life we carry as a tension that this is true and this is true. And it's not like we're trying to find a, a thing in the middle, which is a sort of mishmash of both. No, this is true, and this is true. I haven't got time to give lots of examples. But in this context, it seems fairly obvious that two things happening at the same time. Bad stuff happens in the world. It just does. I mean, there's poor Libby Wall, if you know Libby, if you've been on prayer mail. Poor Libby and Jeremy involved in a car crash last week. Uh, got a bit smashed up. The car was uh, a write-off. Libby is in hospital with 10 broken ribs. You know, she's hurt. Stuff happens. Sickness happens. Someone hurts us. We feel lonely. God seems distant. You haven't had rain for three years. Whatever, whatever. You have financial worries. You've got family tensions. All of these are things that will not exist in heaven, by definition, because they're not good things. They're not sent by God. They won't exist there. They're not of him. And yet, so, so that's that. And yet, at the very same time, those are so often the things, the periods, the times, the testing, the battles that God uses to grow us, to mature us, to make us more like Jesus. Cue your favorite memory verse if you're somebody who's been around your Bible for a while and you remember scripture and you've got a memory verse that says, oh yes, I remember some verses about that, about how God takes bad stuff and uses it to make good stuff. I don't know what your go-to verses are in those. A couple of mine will be James 1. It's on the screen, remember? Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, when you face what? Trials of many kinds, because you know that what? Testing of your faith produces good things like perseverance, and perseverance finishes its work so that you may be what? Mature. I'm talking to a room full of adults. We don't want to be grown up in years, but toddlers in spiritual years, do we? It's all about growth and growing. And here's the Bible saying, yeah, the root to that is through this dis uncomfortable thing called testing. So very often, or Romans 8.28, we know that in all things, all kinds of challenges, pain, suffering, not that God causes them, but in all of those things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purposes. And what are some of his purposes? That we would grow more like him, that we wouldn't stay the same, that we become more and more alive. So here's this reality. We love comfort. Nobody votes for challenge, on the one hand. But actually, we really only grow outside of our comfort zones. It's one of those paradoxes, isn't it? Lord, I want to grow, but not through discomfort, please. He says, uh-uh. And we exercise our, you know, those faith muscles in these times particularly, and we choose to bring our pain or our struggle or our testing to the Lord, grab hold of, of his grace to trust him in those times and with those times. And despite all of the questions and all of the doubts and all of the wrestling and why me and this is horrible, I don't like it, get me out of it, Lord, we can emerge the stronger. No, it can. It's not automatic. It can. Part of it depends on how we bring it, as we're going to see in a minute. And faith grows. It's the whole... The whole um, 
uh, chrysalis butterfly thing, isn't it? We're so familiar with that, the, the chrysalis in the, in the cocoon, is that right? I didn't, never had a biology lesson in my life. I seem to miss that at, at school. That's a, different, that's a different story. But I think I'm right in saying there's something about the, the, the chrysalis in the cocoon, and it needs to exercise muscle and wrestle, it's not very comfortable, precisely to break out, and in the doing so, get strong enough to be the butterfly that can then fly. Spiritually, it's just so similar as we have to exercise some faith muscles in times of testing in particular, something happens, and we may not see it at the time, but we can emerge the stronger. Some of you in the room have been around long enough, and others would know a little bit of the story. A few years here, we went through a, a pretty traumatic and turbulent and incredibly difficult time, and it was extraordinarily painful for, for many. At a personal level for me, at a family level for me, immensely challenging and painful and struggling. Would I have voted for that? Not in a million years. And yet my testimony would be, as many in the room, that somehow it's in those periods where you get to discover, is God gracious? Does he live up to his promise? Does he do what he says he will do if we dig in and just go, help, Lord, keep our pain before him? Actually, we discover my testimony would be, yes. I struggle with a strange tension Was I glad that it happened? No, of course not. Was I glad for what God did through it? You bet. And he couldn't have done it if we hadn't gone through it. I mean, square that circle. Can't, can we? It's both hands. I've discovered a depth of of grace and and a greater richness to those promises of God in, in tough times than I'd ever known before. I've grown in that sense. I personally have grown. My faith has become stronger through those things. You'll have your stories too. So here we are. That's by way of introduction. In fact, today is all by way of introduction to the next five Sundays, really. Um, That these Lent Sundays, we're going to kind of ask, why and how can our testing be positive? I guess that's the question that sort of sits over this, really. Uh, And you can apply. You're already thinking about what your testing looks like, what it has looked like, what you're facing now, and so on. And there's real encouragement here, because we're going to look at the life of Jesus, of course we are, as he faced some tests that we're fairly familiar with. Again, if we know our Bibles a bit, particularly around this time of year, we seem to circle around this passage, his 40 days in the wilderness, right at the start of his public ministry. And they were unwelcome. I can't believe that Jesus welcomed this, but in, in embracing them, he overcame them. And plot spoiler, he grew through them. Plot spoiler, the text says, as we're about to see, he went into the wilderness full of the Holy Spirit because he'd just been baptized. At the end of the story, he emerges from his testing and wilderness in the power of the Spirit. There's a, there's a growing that takes place, even in these 40 days. And I believe the Holy Spirit is, is really going to equip us, friends, and, and bless us and help us and encourage us in the stuff of life, whatever size and scale your testing and challenge is, to fight and to overcome and to grow in the exercising of faith muscles. So would you like to find Luke chapter 4 in your devices or Bibles? There will, the words will come on the screen too, but we always encourage uh, to hold something in your hands because it's good practice. So a bit of an overview today, this, this fight, uh, and a couple of fairly basic big points. He's, he, we're going we're to look at fighting against something and fighting for something, embracing both. More than an echo, by the way, of our courageous resistance kind of underpinning to the whole year. For those who have been around a bit, we've, we've set this banner, courageous resistance, almost over the whole year, feeling that God is, at different times and different ways, going to help us to lean into that. Taking our stand against the assaults of the world, the flesh, the enemy against us, 
as well as taking ground, stepping into uh, kingdom things to take ground for the Lord. So here is Luke's version of this story where we see both going on. Uh, the story is uh, also told by, in, in Matthew's gospel, by the way, and a little bit, a couple of verses in Mark's as well. So it was good to, to read those different accounts. And you'll remember the context. Jesus has grown up largely incognito for about 30 years in obscurity. The time then comes when he appears on the scene for his baptism by uh, John the Baptist, or as they call him in The Chosen, for those who know The Chosen, Creepy John. quite like that. It's a good title for John the Baptist. <laughs> if you know The Chosen, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, where have you been? You need to watch it. Um, and the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus at his baptism. This voice from the Father says, this is my son, confirms Jesus' primary identity. Love that, don't we? Could have said, this is the teacher who's going to teach you the world's best stuff. This is the Savior who's going to save you. Could have said that. This is your Messiah. Could have said that. This is a miracle worker. He could have said that. But no, the Father affirms the prime identity that Jesus carried in his ministry on earth, which was as the son of a loving father. And he offers us that same uh, same identity. I'm going to get distracted, I can tell. Uh, so, here we are. So, so that's the context. And uh, here we are. Next verse, Luke chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. Again, notice the phrase. He was full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan. And he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So, note to self here. It's not always the case, but here, this is deliberate. This is not an accidental thing. It's not, oh, he took a wrong turn. And the father didn't really want this to happen. No, he's led by the Spirit. The father wanted this to happen. Deliberate action that Jesus would be tested. Where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. Notice the significance of the 40. We'll come back. He ate nothing during those days. He ate nothing during those days. Again, not going to get distracted. This is not a message about Lenten practices or fasting or, or those kinds of things in general, whether or not you're, you're engaging with those. But I do just want to say, in brackets, if fasting is not one of those practices that you have yet stepped into or stepped into in a, in a regular or intentional way, may I gently, as one of your pastors here, encourage you to ask the question, if you are a follower of Jesus, why not? Why not? What would be the, the resistance for you there? Jesus did, and he, he, the expectation is that the disciples of Jesus fast. So at the end of his 40 days, he was hungry. Of course he was. And probably lonely, almost certainly tired, maybe even angry in the face of the opposition that's come against him. You know where I'm going with this. Some of you, again, familiar with H-A-L-T, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. These are moments of vulnerability when we've got one of those going on, or two or three or all four. And so often it's at moments of vulnerability then that we are more susceptible to the enemy who lies behind all the testing in terms of not overcoming it and being susceptible to it. Lions prowl around looking for what? The biggest beast in the pack? No, they look for the vulnerable one, the one they can pick off more easily. So here's Jesus at a low point physically, for sure, hungry, lonely, tired. So especially on his guard, which is how we need to be and to encourage each other to be in moments of deeper susceptibility when we're depleted. Is that you right now, by the way? Are you in a very depleted state right now? That means that you're more vulnerable. It means we need to be around you. You need to have people around you holding your arms up. We do this together. It's not, not the lonely thing. We will get through this passage. The devil, verse 3, the devil said to him... Um, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone 
to become bread. Jesus answered, it's written, man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him to the high place. He showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world and said to him, I'll give you all their authority and splendor. It's been given to me and I can give it to anyone that I want. So if you worship me, it'll be all yours. And Jesus answers, it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him thirdly to Jerusalem, had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, and devil's picked up Jesus' tactic of quoting scripture, so he has a go at doing the same thing, quotes scripture back at Jesus. It's written, after all, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They'll lift up lift you up in their hands so that you won't strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, don't put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all the tempting, he left him until an opportune time. He's not given up. He's always going to keep coming back for more, as it were, always be back until he's finally destroyed for good. And Jesus, verse 14, returned to Galilee, now not just full of the Holy Spirit, but in the power of of the Holy Spirit. It is an incredible passage, and again, just a bit of an overview today. We're going to be diving into this, focusing on this passage for the next four weeks, so get, get used to it, soak yourself in it, um, allow God to speak you through it. Two big dimensions I just want to, to, to highlight, the, the fighting against and the fighting for. At one level, there's a fight against something here, isn't there, or a fight against someone, more, more specifically, against the evil one, against the tempter, as we might call him here, against the devil. And again, we'll look more at the specifics of what the temptations were in coming weeks. But they're very familiar to us, aren't they? Can we notice that? You're thinking, yeah, I recognize this. I recognize that voice. I, I, I know that whisper. That I, I imagine that we do. And we need to get in touch with that a little bit. In fact, they have to be, don't they? Because if part of what Jesus was doing was to be fully human and to live the kind of life that we're all designed to live in partnership with the Lord, to show us the way in that sense, then we have to be able to empathize with him and he with us in our struggles and, and, and in our testing. It's no good him hanging on to his divine advantages, as, as Paul calls them in Philippians 2. No, he emptied himself of those. He's not Superman in, dressed up in human clothing. He emptied himself of that in order to be able to empathize with us in our weakness. Hebrews, is it Hebrews 4, verse 15? He was tempted in every way just as we are. Hebrews 5, verse 14. Because if he wasn't, we couldn't empathize. he couldn't empathize with us in our weakness and actually we couldn't identify with him. And he'd be the Superman figure who hasn't got much to show us in terms of what it means to be fully human. So it really matters that he went through this and we know that he went through this and he can empathize because we're familiar with the voice of the tempter. You're hungry. Turn rocks into rolls. You've, you've got needs, in other words. And God's not really coming through for you, is he? Anybody hearing that voice at the moment? God's not really providing. He promised me he's not really come through yet for you, has he? So take matters into your own hands. Not sure you can fully trust him. That's the essence of that one. Number two, the temptation in number two on the high place. Take matters into your own hands. It's a similar thing, isn't it? God is not coming through for you. You're right to be afraid. You're right, therefore, to try to take control because nobody else is really going to take control for you. And by the way, says the devil, you can take control. You can have control in this second temptation. You can have lots of power and control. Just let me help you, says the devil. Come my way. We'll work together on this. Anybody recognize that voice? Third one, 
It wasn't going very well for the devil at this point, so he changes tack. Acknowledges the presence of God this time. Actually, because God is your father, and he's made all these promises to look after you, it really doesn't matter if you're a bit careless with him, if you take him a bit for granted, because he still loves you, still going to look after you, still going to be okay. So take it easy in your Christian life, maybe. Pay lip service to, to him if you want, but live, live how you feel, because you'll be okay in the end anyway. Anybody recognize that voice? And we'll explore these more in coming weeks. I'm pretty sure that I don't need to um, explain much or illustrate further what temptation feels like. I, I'm pretty sure, that, pretty confident that we, we've got that one down. We, we know what that voice sounds like. We know what that sense is. But I'm pretty sure that I do need to keep inviting the Holy Spirit to invite me, to, to remind me, maybe you, why this really matters, why sin matters, actually. We do need reminding of that. The enemy's main weapon, remember, he's the father of lies. That's one of the depictions, is deception. And he'll always deploy deception. Whatever else he deploys, he'll deploy deception to make sin, to make his way and not God's way look more attractive. Always. That's why temptation works, friends. We have got that, haven't we? Temptation works because it's attractive. If it was unattractive, we wouldn't fall for it. That's the whole point. You know, we don't take a, you know, a lump of deadly nightshade poison and eat it. But if it's, if it's got a donut wrapped around it, well, well <laughs> that's a different matter because we like the idea of the donut, not realizing that it's poisonous inside. It's how temptation works. I think we just had that slide up previously. You can pop it up now because, because what the, the voice of the tempter does is to maximize the short-term gain. Of course it is. That's the voice, isn't it? It's going to go well for you. It's worth lying right now because it will get you out of a hole. It's worth watching porn right now because you need some comfort. It's going to comfort you. It's, it, gossiping's fine. You just get some satisfaction from gossiping right now, saying that, that, that bitchy thing. How about coveting uh, the Porsche that's in the garage you know, next door, etc., etc.? How about more Netflix rather than more Bible? And so maximizing the, the short-term game, it's going to be fine for you. It's going to go well for you. And minimizing... The opposite, minimizing the harm, minis, min, minimizing the completely toxic, destructive effects. The desensitizing effect that our stupid, loveless, self-centered, dumb choices to go the other way than God's way have on us and have on others. How do we know that it's serious? Because the only way that Jesus could even begin to deal with that stuff in you, in me, was for the Father to send him to earth, for him to take on human form, for, uh, to allow himself to be nailed to a Roman cross. And far greater than the, than the physical agony of all of that was the spiritual agony of taking all of your stuff and all of my stuff and all those rebellious choices on himself in that moment. That's how we know that it's serious. That's how we know that he loves us, and that's how we know that sin matters. And here we are in Lent coming up to Easter. I'm really interested, by the way, that one of the hallmarks of what the Holy Spirit seems to be doing in some of those things that we're hearing about, and I know that we only know what we know, and how could we generalize across the whole globe, but take Asbury College that we've been mentioning, we mentioned a bit last week, and we're f familiar with some of that, and, and some of the things that, that, are, that are spinning out of that, and some of the prophetic voices from those who've been saying this for, for two or three years. One of the hallmarks of this activity of the Holy Spirit seems to be an increase in the fear of the Lord. 
And I welcome that. Not glibly, because I think the fear of the Lord is, is, is tough. But it's a reminder around, of holiness. It's a reminder. So this is a phrase, by the way, that's all over Scripture. It's not just an Old Testament concept. All over the New Testament, the fear of the Lord as well. And fear of the Lord, by which, of course, we don't mean being scared of him. It's not that, as if the Lord was some sort of angry headmaster. But fear, as in reverence, awe, respect, having a fuller sense of who he is and who we are. And that would include, in my view, I find this helpful, a really deep and growing fear, genuine fear, of the consequences of my rebellion against the Lord, the consequences of my stupid choices, a fear of that, fear of the consequences. I don't mean eternal consequences even. I just mean now consequences, messing my life up and other people around me if I take that different path. So I really welcome, I think we should be praying for more of the fear of the Lord. I'm pretty sure that he's wanting to grow us in that and all that comes with that by way of this move of, of a deeper repentance, of, a, of a recognizing the holiness of God because he loves us, not to make us feel bad about ourselves. Sin is such a dumb choice. I want to be more afraid of the consequences of it. And, uh, and of disobedience. Henri Nguyen, I never know how to pronounce his name, but you know who I mean. He once asked Mother Teresa for spiritual direction, said, how, how can I grow as a Christian? And she replied, spend an hour each day adoring the Lord and don't do anything you know is wrong. Do that and you should be fine. <laughs> that was quite... It's kind of catchy, and I have massive respect and admiration, obviously, for Mother Teresa. I'm not sure I find that super helpful um, at one level. It would, to me, it would be a little bit like reading this passage that we've just read and concluding to some extent that it's just about avoiding sinning. I don't, don't, don't mishear me. I, I want to avoid sinning. I want you to avoid sinning and messing up because it's a really stupid choice. It's really destructive. But it, it has the potential for that just to, be, to limit it to kind of our, our behavior and how what we do and what we say and what we don't do and what we don't say. And as, as significant as all of that is, um, it risks being a slightly kind of religious thing or focusing on one thing and not the other thing. So all of that was kind of level one, if you like. Here's level two of the story. That was the fighting against bit um, of the story, and we'll, we'll unpack that as time goes by. Let's just look a little bit deeper, because Jesus is certainly doing that. He's avoiding making dumb choices. He's fighting the battles against the tempter, the accuser, the Satan. But at a different level, he's fighting for something which is much bigger and much more significant, actually, in the big scheme of things. So the enemy is Satan. I actually wrote that down in my notes as Stan, um, which doesn't sound very threatening. Um, <laughs> then I realized you could even misspell it as Santa, which is even less <laughs> threatening. But uh, we're not to, um, to underplay in any way. Um, the, the, the threat implied by this name. In, in Greek, the word used here, uh, translated as devil, is diabolos. You probably know that. And that just gives us a bit of a clue to this deeper thing uh, that's going on here, uh, here and, by the way, elsewhere. Diabolos means, dia is the through bit. Uh, bolos is to throw. It means to throw through in the sense of if you throw through something, you're dividing something. That's the sense of it. You're, by force, you're separating two things. That's what the devil literally means in, in terms of the word that is being used here. And so uh, some people might, might call him even the splitter as a kind of synonym. I think I find that quite helpful language. Not that we want to overfocus on him, but it's quite helpful to understand a little bit what's going on. It's what he wants to do. Split 
husband from wife, split children from parents, split friend from friend, split society apart on a whole load of different things, split us away from our own best selves and what we're made for. And perhaps most of all, underneath and around in all of that, because if the foundations go, so goes the house, he wants to split everyone from knowing and experiencing the love of the Father and being in relationship with us, split us away from the Lord's presence. Most fundamentally, that is what is going on here. That's, what, that's, that's why it matters. That's the deeper issue. That's the, the challenge. Almost of every little test, however small or however big, behind it lies the purpose of the enemy to separate us from God, from his presence and his purposes and his help and everything else. Because then he wins, right? And we lose big time. So here's in the text him wanting to split Jesus from, first of all, his main identity. We, we, we know that, right? He's just been baptized. But the father says, you're my son. How does the devil, the splitter, start off his questioning? If you're the son. In other words, let me have a go at splitting you from this identity that you've got. Let's see if I can separate you out from who you are. And it's still his way. Do you recognize that voice? Tim, are you really forgiven? Yeah, you've been saying it all these years. Are you really? Do you, do you really deserve that? Is that what God's done for you? I know what lurks in your heart. Other people might not, but I do. Do you really think you deserve to be loved? Do you actually believe that God will keep his promises? Sowing, sowing the doubt, separating, splitting, can you see? Separating us from who you are. Other people might be you know, worth something, but I'm not sure that you're quite worth it yet. All of that. Jesus stayed faithful. It's about faith. This passage is about faithfulness, by the way. It's Jesus' faithfulness here. Here to his identity, to who he was. He's faithful to who he was. Next, he was faithful. He stayed faithful in this. In this. We can see it. To his assignment. Despite all this severe testing, what's the enemy trying to do? He's trying to separate him, split him from his purpose. Desperate to derail Jesus before he even got going. This is right at the start of the journey. Jesus has, has come to set things right. Uh, we've got echoes, by the way, here of Exodus and Eden in this story. They're beautiful. Just briefly, Jesus counters every assault. You know, we're familiar with that with the scriptures, remember? And the scriptures that he quotes all come from the story of the Exodus. They all come from that story of Israel in the, in the wilderness. Well, here's Jesus in the wilderness. He's come through the waters of baptism. They went through the waters of the Red Sea. He's now had to face in 40 days what they struggled with in 40 years in the desert. And they failed again and again and again. Where they failed, he succeeds. So strong echoes of that salvation story. But behind that, even more deeply, echoes of Eden. The, the, the first garden where Adam and Eve fell at the very first hurdle, as we know. The first whispering voice of temptation, the very first one as far as we know, that came. They fell for it. The enemy was successful in splitting them in all the ways that that then happened. They took things into their own hands. What's the contrast here? Jesus keeping his eyes on the Father, keeping his eyes on the Father's ways, keeping his eyes on the Father's plan, the Father's assignment, the Father's commission to him. So this second Adam, as Jesus is often referred to in the New Testament, launches his mission to undo the disastrous effects of, of the first Adam. So what are the whispers meant to do? Separate him from that. Deviate, distract him, frankly, from the path of 
servanthood. Distract him from the path of suffering, which is his pathway, his kingdom assignment that would lead him from his baptism to his death three years later. Distract him from this commission to redeem the world. Okay, what about us? The the temptations and the purposes aren't aren't the same for us, but these testings that we face day by day at big moments of decision or in, in smaller ways, they might be different, but they have exactly the same purpose. The purpose behind them is to separate us from our bigger calling, to separate you from your assignment. And we all carry, if we're a follower of Jesus, we carry both the same big assignment and then unique personal assignments within that. So these temptations, they're doing much, much more than just trying to entice us to make a bad decision, to sin. The enemy is desperate to distract us from the path, our path of servanthood, our path of, to some extent, suffering in kingdom causes, our assignment to love him, to love people, to draw other people towards the Father's family. So Jesus stays faithful to his his identity. How are you doing on that? As a son or a daughter, we're sons and daughters, we're not orphans. He's staying faithful to his assignment, not distracted from, uh, f- from the, uh, his purposes, his commission. He's staying faithful to the Father as he takes on the devil. He's resisting courageously. doesn't need me to point that out. He's resisting the one who would separate him from all of those things, this relentless pursuit that Jesus has. It's really, really inspiring. And just really briefly, the two weapons, again, we'll look at these. The two weapons of his warfare, Holy Scripture and Holy Spirit. Do we get different weapons? No, we get the same ones that Jesus had. Exactly the same. We're positioned exactly the same way as he is to fight the battles the way he did. The sword of the Spirit, how how sharp are our swords right now? I, I want to pray that over these coming weeks, church, that we would, one of our prayers would be, Lord, take me deeper into your word. Just renew my passion for the scriptures, whether it's already pretty hot or whether it's gone a bit cool or whether it's never been that hot. Just grow a love for your word, our desire, my desire to hide your word in my heart so that I too will be ready to stand and engage with the, the truth of the word of God in these battles. And then here's Jesus full of the spirit as he's led into the wilderness. He's returning from the war zone in the power of the spirit. And again, friends, I I just want to believe that this is always a great prayer, but Lent will be such a brilliant time to double down on this prayer for yourself, for your loved ones, for your household if they follow the Lord, for each other in our groups. Lord, fill me with your spirit. Fill us with your spirit. It's not rocket science. We keep looking for something sophisticated. The prayer is, no, fill us with your spirit, Lord. Fill us with your spirit. We need you. Jesus could not have done what he did in the wilderness without being full of the Holy Spirit, and we certainly can't. There was, um, I'll end on this story, then we'll pray. There there was a a submarine called the Thresher 50 years ago, American submarine, and um, it it dived to to a deep depth, and it got a crack in in it somewhere, and some seawater began to come in. And because of the pressure at 730 meters down, the external pressure, um, eventually the whole thing just imploded. and uh, 130 lives were lost. It was the second biggest submarine accident ever. And uh, at that same depth, 730 meters, or even frankly 7,000 meters in the Mariana Trench, there are fish that swim happily around the place. Same external pressures on them, but they don't succumb. Why not? Because there's something about their design. The internal pressure counteracts the external pressure in those fish in the way that they're made to the point where they survive and flourish. 
We're talking about testing and challenges, the external pressures that come to bear. Uh, And I want to remind us as we come into close and as we pray for each other that he who is in us, those of us who have invited Jesus in by his spirit, he who is in us is greater than the one who's in the world. That is a promise to stand on, is it not, as we head into our, our, our Lent season? That we're not, we don't negate the, the challenges, the, test, the, the testing, the stuff that comes against us. But friends, we, we don't need to implode. Far from it. He who is in you, the Holy Spirit who is in us, Jesus by his Spirit who is in us, is greater, far greater than he, the one who, is, who, who, who at the moment has temporary authority and power in the world, the devil. And this story will encourage us so much as we stay faithful to him, as we stay faithful to the Father, as we stay faithful to the identity that he's called us into and, the identi- and to the, the commission that he's given to us in the world. Amen.